and welcome to the To Mom podcast. My name is Valerie Propsfeld. Please join me as we encourage mothers to live their verb while also practicing self-grace. The goal of this podcast is to promote love as an action and live life more authentically. Just think about it. In five generations from now, you will have approximately 30 descendants and the number keeps getting larger and larger. We have more power as moms than we realize. Motherhood, in my opinion, is the most important job in the world. Hello everyone, thanks for joining. I'm so excited to have my guest with me today, fellow nurse practitioner, May Fichetti. First, the mission of Two Mom is to Love is to support, encourage, and empower each other as imperfect moms to love as a verb. Join us, subscribe, share, and follow. Welcome to our community. May is a family nurse practitioner and coach with over 25 years in the healthcare industry. She is trained in traditional allopathic medicine as well as functional medicine. May believes we all have the ability to heal our bodies once we figure out the root causes of our issues. And have you ever tried fasting? May actually is an experienced faster. She fasts regularly and started her own health and wellness company in hopes to teach people how to fast. Fasting can be for disease reversal and or prevention, weight loss, peri and menopausal symptoms, and general health and wellness. May, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for being with us on the show today. Hey, Valerie, thank you for having me on your amazing podcast. As Valerie mentioned, I am a nurse practitioner with training in both the traditional allopathic medical model and functional medicine. And what drove me to functional medicine was really wanting to heal my own body from the health challenges that I was dealing with. And having the realization that the allopathic model had failed me in many ways. And one of the ways that it did was not addressing the root cause of disease, but just treating my symptoms. So that's really where I began my journey into health and wellness. And to add to that, I am also a military spouse and a mom to twin boys that are 13 and give me gray hair every day. You're in Alabama right now? Yes. And I think you were in Alaska beforehand. Yes. It's quite a difference of, you know, wintertime. And I bet you're enjoying this time of year now that it's getting cold everywhere else. I am. I'm, I'm uh, happy not to have to shovel snow. So that's, that's a good change. <laughs> so May, tell us about yourself. I know that you had mentioned you um, had the allopathic model fail you in um, some ways and you wanted to get more into trying to get that root cause. Um, can you uh, share a little bit more about that journey that led you to that? Sure. Well, from a young age, really my aspiration has been rooted in healthcare and a passion was instilled in me by um, a remarkable uncle, a distinguished physician that I had. And as I navigated through my teenage years, I recognized a nuanced distinction between the roles of physicians and nurses. And in observing this, um, I noticed that the nurses had the qualities that I exemplified, like compassion, unwavering desire to assist others, profound empathy, and effective communication skills. 
So I recognized early the potential to make a meaningful impact with healthcare, and that was going to be through a nursing career. And the rest is history. And when did you become a family nurse practitioner? So that was in 2017, that after about 22 years of being a registered nurse, I decided to go back and pursue the family nurse practitioner program. And um, it was interesting because it was an online program, which I was not used to, you know, I'm used to the brick and mortar. Mm -hmm. So it was definitely a little bit of a challenge, but I was determined to get through it. And I did. I graduated in 2020. Oh, awesome. Right. <laughs> right. When the world was shutting down and yes. all. And <laughs> the worst time to graduate ever. Yeah. We didn't even have a graduation. It was, oh. it was online. <laughs> yes. So as with everything else. Yes. Yes. We all have our, all of our wild pandemic stories, right? <laughs> yes. You said you were a nurse uh, for two decades, more than two decades beforehand. What was your primary specialty? So I did pretty much everything. I did mostly med surge, but I kind of bounced around a little bit. I did apheresis. I did home care. I worked in a step-down unit. And it was funny because when I was in nursing school, one of my instructors was saying, you cannot do this. You have to stick to one specialty. You can't jump around. And I think that was the time where I thought, oh, yes, I can. (laughs) And then this is what I'm going to do. So I felt like I didn't want to get into that comfortable place where you hear a lot of nurses get into and then their careers are 20, 30 years later, and they're still in the same place. I wanted to have that variety, just because, you know, that's my personality. I like change, and I welcome change. So that's, that was um, kind of my little, my little uh, adventure there. May, you talk a lot about fasting, and I know that you are an experienced faster, and I've tried it once recently. Can you tell us a little bit about what brought you into fasting and what you feel like the uh, benefits of it are? Sure. Well, I'd love to. So first, I'll start by describing the common definition. So fasting is a deliberate absence from food and fluids that you take for a therapeutic purpose over a specific period of time. And it's worth mentioning that fasting has um, historical roots spanning thousands of years in various religions and spiritual practices. So in essence, fasting is really an integral part of daily life. And it's exemplified by the term break fast, which means that, that the cessation of the fasting period. So now in recent advancements, Scientific research has provided valuable insight into the profound impact of fasting on our physiology, our cellular processes, aging, disease management, and overall health. And observing it in my own body and that of my clients has been really profound. So regardless of the individual symptoms or conditions, a myriad of individuals have experienced notable benefits from this cost-free, uncomplicated biohack, because that's exactly what it is. It's a biohack. Mm. And just to give it a little bit more of a recent landscape, so fasting research has really evolved, and it underwent a significant shift as early as 2016, when Dr. Osumi was awarded the Nobel Prize for his groundbreaking work on autophagy. 
Now, just to explain a little bit about what autophagy is, it's characterized as the self-cleansing of damaged cells or what we call senescent cells to facilitate the regeneration of healthier cells. So essentially, it's your body cleaning house. This um, self-eating phenomenon, when activated, really acts as a fast track to healing and contributes to the deceleration of the aging process, which is what we all want to do, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So fasting really serves as the catalyst for initiating that autophagy process and thereby uh, thereby fostering an accelerated healing of the natural restoration of the body. So I have noticed in my own, since I've, I've been fasting for about seven years, and I've noticed so many health changes and for the positive, just um, to, to see the science behind and then to put it in action has just been amazing. And this is my passion. It's what I've talked about pretty much for the last uh, seven years and made my fair share of mistakes. But we all learn from those mistakes and, and we move forward. And, and so this is really something that I could just spend days and days talking about. <laughs> That's awesome. I, gosh, I find all of that so fascinating. And I know we're going to talk more about your platform in a little bit, but I'm really curious, like what you offer, like, you know, you've been doing it for seven years, you work with clients, this is your passion. So are you, you're a coach and like, how can we find you? How can we like get information about this? And, and what do you, um, do you have like an in-person clinic or is it a virtual clinic? Yeah, so I do everything online. Mm -hmm. And that really is just for the benefit of reaching more people. So um, after careful consideration and being in clinical practice for so long, I really chose to leverage my strengths and expertise in the coaching and consulting capacity, where my focus is really educating, motivating, inspiring women to empower themselves and really to take a proactive management to their health. So I teach women specifically in perimenopausal years and beyond how to minimize the symptoms associated with hormonal changes that are present during this time in our lives. So I do this by teaching them how to fast properly because there is a lot of information on the internet. And it's also hard to listen to so many people at one time. They all have kind of their little, you know, their little uh, things that they put out. So primarily I do one-on-one coaching. And I have a couple of different programs that I offer depending on what the person's end goal is. But the main thing is to give women their power back and really support them along this fasting journey as best as I can so they can adopt this as a lifestyle and see results. That's wonderful. Um, Now, I did not know, I thought that was interesting when you were saying break fast. So is that, that's breakfast? That's like where the word breakfast comes from? Correct. That's interesting. Yeah, because that is. Yeah. And the fact that you said that humans have been doing this for so long, I think is just fascinating. And I know I can get on my history tangent sometimes in my episodes, but Mm -hmm. I'll spare y'all from that. But I am Mm -hmm. just like so intrigued by, you know, how humans have evolved their diets and how like we, you know, modern society is just like a little just blip in the radar of like history and how our bodies were designed. And I think that's great to kind of go back to our roots in a little bit and to see the benefits of these older, um, I hesitate to say medicine, but like older methods of doing things that 
more sometimes more simple. Right. And that's what I like to explain to people when they think that fasting is this new fad and everybody's doing it because it's this new diet, which is a terrible word. I hate that word diet because fasting is a lifestyle, like I mentioned before. And if you look back at our primal ancestors, so they were hunters and gatherers. They weren't out going to the grocery store, picking up all kinds of food. They weren't eating all the time. So they'd go out and go try to get a hunt. And if they didn't, then they would not eat for a couple of days. And then they would um, find find something to kill and they would eat for a few days and they would feast. So really, it's something going as far back as as that. And that's something that I like to point out to people. And then they start to kind of view it in a different way. Yeah. Yeah, that's so much what I think is so fascinating about that. Like the more we learn, the more I feel like going back to basics and the simplicity of, of life, there's just so much to learn from our ancestors with those type of things, like the hunter gatherer. And, you know, I'll talk about, you know, with our emotions and dealing with like the amygdala and the fear and the anger and all that kind of goes back to those days of like kind of honoring these parts of our bodies that, you know, we may sometimes overlook, but they are so important and affect the brain and the body in concert together really um, is so important um, to honor and recognize. Absolutely. And that's why I really like the principles of functional medicine, because we look at that whole person, not just symptoms. And we can talk a little bit about the differences between um, allopathic medicine and functional medicine, if you'd like. Yes, please tell us the differences between the two of them. Sure. So we can really break this down into five key differences. So those being approach to diagnosis, treatment focused, patient-centered versus disease-centered, view of the body, and preventative focus. So let's really unpack this so people can really understand. So when you talk about the approach to diagnosis, in allopathic medicine, they rely on specific symptoms and the application of the standardized diagnostic criteria. So that's where this one-size-fits-all comes in. Now, in functional medicine, the emphasis is on a more holistic approach to diagnosis, considering the interplay of multiple factors contributing to the person's overall health. And when you look at the treatment focus, so in traditional allopathic medicine, they primarily primarily utilize pharmaceuticals and surgical interventions to manage the symptoms and treat disease. But in functional medicine, the priority is really lifestyle modifications, nutrition, and addressing these root causes of disease. Hmm. And when you look at patient-centered versus disease-centered, so in traditional medicine, it's often disease-centered, so focusing on the pathology and its treatment, where in functional medicine, it's patient-centered. So the focus is on understanding the individual's unique biochemistry and addressing the underlying causes of health issues. So there's not a one-size-fits-all approach to that. And then when we look at uh, how they view the body in allopathic medicine, the views of the body is in terms of individual organs and systems. So often, again, just treating the symptoms in isolation, where in functional medicine, the views of the body are as this integrated system, considering the dynamic between um, the physiological processes. And so the entire body is addressed like we were just discussing before. 
And lastly, um, which is one of the biggest things that where I see a very noticeable uh, difference, because this is very, very important, is the preventative focus. So in traditional allopathic medicine, primarily it's reactive and intervening when symptoms of the disease arise. And in functional medicine, we are a proactive um, environment where we emphasize on preventing measures or preventative measures. And again, those lifestyle modifications to optimize the health and well-being. And that's really where I feel that we're missing you know, we're really uh, missing the boat is on the preventative side, because even though you, you know, people will say, well, sure, we have preventative medicine, you know, I get my, my annual mammograms or my, you know, colonoscopies and things like that. But a lot of times, you know, when you, when you do get to that point, you've already identified a problem, and now it's harder to treat. And I say that by experience. So normally, most places will say, except for the American Cancer Society, they recommend mammograms at the age of 40. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to a doctor at 40 and I started to have my mammograms. By the age of 42, I was already dealing with a tumor that was two centimeters in size that had previous, that had been there already for about eight or nine years going on what the, um, the providers were telling me. Mm-hmm. So had I waited you know, until the age of 50 to do this mammogram, who knows, I wouldn't be here today. Mm-hmm. So it really needs to be more of a focus on prevention, what you do, what you're doing in your 20s and 30s, because I hear about it all the time. And these young women being diagnosed with breast cancer in their 20s and 30s. And um, a lot of misconceptions about, you know, estrogen causing breast cancer and things like that. So I really like to educate people on knowing the changes in their body. You know your body better than anyone else and definitely advocate for yourself. And this is what I did. I had a, just a feeling that something wasn't right. And, you know, eventually it led to my diagnosis a few months later, but had I not listened to those signs, like I said, I don't know where I would be. So it's really important to listen to your body because you know your body better than anyone else. That's so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and definitely something that a lot more people, especially women, you know, we, we kind of get, sometimes we get coerced, I think, into doing certain things that we don't want to do and, and including just, you know, medications. And I don't want, really don't want to go down that rabbit hole because we could have a whole discussion on that, but it really is your body and you have the right to say you want something done or not. and it's all about education and empowerment and finding out what, how the body works, you know, how, how your body works, because a lot of people don't even know, you know, how the simple menstrual cycle works. So it's really important to educate people. And that's where you give them their power back. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's so powerful. All of that. I mean, we're not black and white. Like, I think sometimes, you know, being on both sides of healthcare, like on the patient side as well as the provider side, um, I think that providers sometimes, like we're trained in a certain way to follow a textbook, you know, and um, many times patients 
don't follow that textbook. I mean, oftentimes we don't. Like there's so much gray and Mm -hmm. it's not black and white. It makes me think of like a car that is running. Um, We have to kind of do that maintenance on the car. Like, or we're gonna, you know, a car's gonna eventually not be able to run if we're not doing like those maintenance checks, like all those things that we need to do and diet and exercise and fasting, all those type of things can kind of be part of that. Is that, it sounds like what the functional medicine aspect is doing. Is that correct? Yes. And that's exactly right. So what we're doing is not just shutting off that check engine light. We're actually looking under the hood to see why that's coming on. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's really one of the analogies that a lot of uh, providers in the functional medicine world uh, talk about, you know, that because everybody can relate to driving a car when that light comes on. So it's, you're, you know, you have symptoms and when that light comes on, you don't ignore the symptoms, but you have to sometimes go deeper. And a lot of times that involves seeing uh, a functional medicine provider and because you're not necessarily going to get that in the traditional allopathic model, unless it's a provider that is a little bit more, um, you know, someone that thinks outside the box a little bit more and is open to some of these things. But, you know, I really don't fault the allopathic model. I just feel like us as providers, you know, when we talk about not doing harm to patients, you know, it's not just about, uh, you know, giving some someone some medicine that you might that they might die from, but it's about educating them on how they can live their best, healthiest lives and all these other factors that come into play that they can, you know, they really don't have education on, and that's that's one of the problems. I think it's starting to shift, and I think COVID really helped because so many people were are, are just metabolically unflexible in this country, and when COVID came, now we saw that, you know right in our face. People were just dying because they weren't, um, they weren't healthy. And so that's really, um, I think where the shift kind of came and I think it's, it's moving in that direction, but it's going to take a lot of time and it's going to take the effort of a lot of people in the functional medicine world and patients. Hmm. Yeah. It's like a team, a team effort, uh, from mm-hmm. a variety of levels. And, I agree. I do see some of that change happening, but still it's going to take time. And, um, you know, I think about with this disease model, it's had so, so much benefit. Was it Johns Hopkins, I think 18 or 1890s or like later on um, in the 19th century. Um, I know like that really started like this whole disease, like um, modern medicine, how we think of it. But then if we look at history and we say, well, the 1890s was more than 100 years ago, and I'm so glad that we have all these things, but we're always learning. And, you know, what next? What, what is next? Like, we have not necessarily conquered that, but we have made so much progress. So now let's make progress somewhere else because there's more that needs to be done. And I'm glad that this functional medicine is kind of shining a light on the quality of life and uh, life, uh, the quality of life is not just um, you know symptom free. It's all all parts of you, your body and brain being in concert together. Yeah, and I'll just add to that that I also it, it you know explain to people in in terms that they can understand. So a lot of times I say you know there is a difference between health span and lifespan. So mm. lifespan is the amount of years that you're going to live. But health 
lifespan is the amount of years that you're going to live disease free. And, you know, I want to live well into my 80s. I want to be able to do things with my grand grandchildren. You know, I want to be able to do the things that tr traditionally are thought of as, you know, old people disease, which is not normal at all. You know, it's not normal to get Alzheimer's. It's not normal to get all these other diseases. Those things are not normal. They're all linked to inflammation. And addressing these things now, you know, will hopefully put you on that right path. And that, that's really what my goal is to get people on the right path. You know, it's not uh, to brainwash them into thinking that everybody needs to fast, though I do think that it's very beneficial for a lot of people. Um, but it's, it's, you know, just opening people up to a different way. And, and that's really the main thing that, that I want to get across. Mm, yes. Health span versus lifespan. I love how you say that. That makes a, a lot of sense. That's great. Now, um, May, can you tell us about a little bit more about your health and wellness company? I know you had mentioned a little bit earlier. Well, I can share where um, people can get in touch with me. I am on Instagram at May Fichetti Health and Wellness and the same on Facebook. I'm sure you'll probably add it to the show notes. And they can also email me at mayficchetti at gmail.com. Um, I will be changing that email, but not for a little bit now. So they can reach me on there. And really just um, social media, you know, is an interesting, <laughs> it's, an, it's an interesting thing. Because I am from the generation where we were not using social media. So, but it is a good way to get a bigger reach. So really, you know, following my page, I put out a lot of very useful information. I don't follow the traditional social media, you know, use this song or use, you know, that caption. I just give information to people and I provide them with some re free resources on my landing pages. And again, it's just about getting people to understand that there are things that they can do to take charge of their health, you know, become their own CEO of their health of their body. That's usually how I present it. Oh, I love that. Your own CEO of your body. That's great. Um, that's awesome, May. Thank you so much for sharing all of that information because I definitely want to check out your platform more. I love everything that you're sharing. And um, so I like how you're just presenting information to people and um, having that easy access to just empowering, empowering yourself to be that CEO for health span versus lifespan. Um, May, so... I started fasting, you know, just trying it out about a month or so ago. Um, curious, do you have any recommendations for like the time of day we should start it? Uh, is there a specific amount of hours? Is there specific food we should eat beforehand or afterwards? Um, or can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, those are great questions. So I usually will like to meet people where they're at. And I understand that sometimes, you know, the hunger <laughs> hormone goes, goes very active, and we feel that we need to eat something or else something bad will happen. So what I generally tell people is start with 13 hours. So if you finish your meal at 6pm, 
you can go to the next day, 6 a.m. is already 12 hours, and then just add another hour and mm. continue to add another hour back, maybe every few days, depending on how the person um, is feeling. And sometimes it takes people up to a few weeks. And that's why my uh, intermittent fasting program is a six week program because it's not something that you're just going to learn overnight and see the results. You know, you can't just fast one time and see the results. So I start with that and I tell them to go an hour at a time until they get to that 16 hour fasting window and the eight hour eating window, which is the traditional um, intermittent fasting. And then the other thing that I really focus on is if people can just change one thing about what they're eating, one thing that is making them unhealthy, you know, processed foods, uh, inflammatory seed oils that are just about in everything. So really teaching people to read the packages. But, you know, I don't want like to throw too many things at one time to a person because then they get overwhelmed and then they get discouraged. So if you just change the hours that you eat. So if you just shorten that feeding window, you will notice results because there are studies out there to show that just doing, for, for example, just doing 13 hours, it was a study that was done a few years ago on women that had breast cancer and had gone through traditional treatments. And now they were fasting for 13 hours and their, their chances of recurrence was dramatically reduced just by fasting 13 hours, which, you know, if you're sleeping seven or eight hours, it's really not that hard unless you're a nighttime snacker. And then there's some other issues that we probably need to address first. But usually starting with the 13 hours is my starting point, which most people can do, and then really supporting them. And that's why coaching is so important because Again, you can get a lot of information online. It could take you in various directions and it could get very confusing. But if you work with a coach, someone that is there, that is rooting for you, that is giving you all the support that you need and just focusing on you learning this, it really does make a difference because we all need support at one time or another, you know? And so that's um, really where I start. And then as far as breaking the fast, I always recommend that depending on the length of the fast, people will break it with a good quality bone broth. So if you make organic bone broth at home, that's perfect. If you don't, there's a couple of different brands that I recommend, but really breaking it with that because sometimes what happens is when people are not used to going without food and then they reintroduce food, you can have what's called refeeding syndrome. And this happens when your digestion slows and then stops and now you're reintroducing food so you're going to end up vomiting or having diarrhea or both so really supporting your body at that time and your and your gut with the good bone broth is an absolute and then as long as you're okay with that you wait about 45 minutes and then you do anywhere between 30 and 40 grams of protein and a lean protein and this is something that again um not many people are doing, especially women, they're not getting enough protein. So it's one of the things I really stress, especially for women that want that weight loss, you know, they're not seeing results, but they're eating, you know, 50 grams of protein, because that's the recommended daily allowance. But that's not enough to even sustain you, but just about to sustain you. And that's it. So 
usually that's kind of the schedule that I do. And it depends on exactly, you know, how long of a fast you're going to do. But generally I do break with the bone broth and then include the protein after. Mm, That's good to know. I know that I made that mistake and I had some, I don't remember what it was, but something like more on the greasier side, like after Mm -hmm. I was, um, you know, didn't eat for a while and it just made me like really nauseous. And so I'm like, Oh, next time I have to remember (laughs) just to introduce it that way. So that's good to know. Right. Um, And that's why I really educate people that okay, once you start feeling better, once you see that you cannot have that greasy food because it's going to make you sick, and once you notice results, you start feeling better, people start making healthier choices too. So, But I I really just try, like I said, to meet people where they're at and start with something, just one thing at a time, one change at a time. It really will make a big difference. And the other thing that's crucially as important as breaking the fast is – staying hydrated. And it's not just with water, it's with electrolytes, because your body, your cells need electrolytes. And if you're just drinking water, it's just running out of you. And really, you're still dehydrated, you can drink a ton of water and still be dehydrated, because you're not providing the, um, the electrolytes that your cells need. Mm. That's a good point. What kind mm-hmm. of electrolytes would you like recommend? Is there um, specific like brands or anything out there? Yeah, I started with a company called LMNT, and they have these single packets. Now, they do have flavoring, and they do have one that's unflavored. And initially, when you first start out, it is going to taste salty because you're not used to it. It does have a certain amount of sodium, but it makes all the difference when fasting. As a matter of fact, that's one of the main things that people do wrong. That plus they drink something and they think, oh, I'm still fasting, but I drank my morning coffee with cream and sugar. And and I said, well, that's not doing you any justice there because you're actually breaking your fast because your glucose is going up. Mm. So, but I do recommend that. Now on their site, they do have a recipe and this is what I do. We just get the bulk supplements from Amazon and make our own because we go through this all the time and we we drink it on a daily basis really just to replenish our body um so it's not just used during fasting so people can go on that website and um find the recipe for that and make it or they can you know um look at getting some of the packets they are a little on the pricey side so that's why really we started making our own my husband makes a big batch we put it in a glass jar and we take from that every day mm. That's very interesting. All of this is so, so fascinating. So May, I know at the beginning of our conversation, you said you lived in many places. What is your favorite place? Well, that's a great question. And so personally, one of the locations that really holds a special place in my heart is Alaska, which we talked about briefly. And the six years that we spent there were nothing short of incredible with so many opportunities to explore the state's breathtaking landscape. But beyond the external beauty, really Alaska became a very pivotal chapter for me because it fosters significant personal growth. And it was while I was living there, I had just moved there actually, and I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so this transformative period significantly influenced both the direction and career of my career and fueled by my aspiration to establish my own health and wellness company. So that is definitely on my top list. Wow. 
That's that's amazing. Isn't that interesting? Like how certain places hold that like special special story and that and that transformation. Yeah, it really is. And you know, when we moved there, I mean, I just got diagnosed about. I think it was about a week and a half after we we got there. We had not even received our household goods, which is usually oh moved by the military. So the first thing I thought of is, I just want to get out of here. I hate Alaska. And then it it made such an impact in my life, you know, that wow. I just, it's so special. It gives me goosebumps. Yeah. Wow. I, isn't that wild about life? That's it really is. Yeah. It reminds me of like the, I guess it was about a month ago now, like we were talking like just a, 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 with a couple mom friends and we were saying how, what we're thankful for and gratitude because, you know, it's before Thanksgiving and all. And it was the day I realized as we were talking, it was the day that my daughter um, had um, her first medical procedure. And I remember it, it was like, uh, six or seven years beforehand, but it was that date. And I was like, what popped my mind was like gratitude for it. And I, I never thought when that day actually happens that I would ever be grateful for it. And I, I, you know, and I still am like, oh, I wish that didn't happen. But at the same time, what I learned and the transformation and the passion that I have for what I do, um, I am grateful for that aspect of it. And I think that's just so neat to hear your story, May, as to what what transformed you and what made you so passionate about what you do in functional medicine and empowering other women to be the best CEO of their body. Thank you so much for your time, May. I will post all of that on the show notes and I know our listeners are going to get so much out of your platform and I'm excited to check it out as well. Yeah, thank you so much, Valerie. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And all of our listeners out there, I hope you have a wonderful day as well. Thank you.